0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organization, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber, or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.
1: Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. You're good to mama. Mama's good to you. I turn to you like a flower leading to the sun. I turn to you because you're the only one. And when I fall down, I have to pick myself back.
2: This is Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9.
3: Wow, that's a blast from the past, isn't it, I Clayton. may have played the wrong intro. <laughs> the uh, retro edition of oh, Stand Up Straight. Yeah, old school. i have gone school. old school, have we? Uh, stand Up Straight, yes, this is uh, who you're listening to. It's Michelle Beckson's Studio. Hello, Beck. Hi, Michelle. And Clayton.
2: Uh, look, let me just tell you. Don't,
3: no excuses. No,
2: no, I played the wrong intro here on the weekend, two weekends ago. Now, I tagged Stand Up Straight in my Geeks Out show twice. <laughs> you're listening to Stand Up Straight and no, you're not.
0: So, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And so. I'm glad we've infiltrated your brain. Yep. Yes, we yeah.
2: permeated. So you're, so you're listening to Geeks Out right now. Geeks Out. Oh. Geeks, oh. out Geeks Out Straight. Geeks Out Straight? Straight. No, I don't all think right. that works.
3: I, I, I don't going. think that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. You're anyway. going well, Clayton.
2: It is going great. You were and giving
3: and us some samples of some extraordinary technology.
2: I, I, I am, yeah. I, I found some very fun technology in you know, a laser keyboard this week.
3: And for someone that does not enjoy technology at all... And perhaps Beck as well. We all wow! Wouldn't, I wouldn't wow. know technology if it hit me in the You're bum.
2: In the <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't talk about that technology yet, but we might.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, the
3: uh, up late edition of the is geek the show. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. need we need a
2: nighttime time slot.
3: Yeah. So big thanks to Beck for the news and her very uh, interesting little. Uh, uh conversation starter piece that was at the end of her her, her um bulletin and, and I've and, got um, many questions about <laughs> that.
0: Many questions. I'll save those.
3: Mm. And uh for, for the informer that you hear every uh Monday to Thursday from six thirty to seven o'clock. And as we kinda like to do at the beginning of our show, we do this. Get ready. For- what are we done today to make you feel proud? Ally
0: of the scene. week
2: on stand up straight.
0: Um, Clayton, actually, people really like my singing, uh-huh. so whatever.
2: Those one people. I'm going to go first this week.
3: Oh, what?
2: Because yeah. I have an LO of the week. Okay, we
3: love these. Yes,
2: go. my LO of the week is the AFL. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what? Clayton and sport and football.
2: Who, of course,
3: I'm literally speechless,
2: have replaced, no you're not, Um, have replaced their sign with a yes sign instead of saying AFL.
0: They had a huge, um, I guess event yesterday where they had players and officials from the AFL and it was a really huge thing for the AFL because they really copped a lot of flack about it. So, I'm excited that Clayton talked about football. That's one thing I'm excited about. Well,
2: we do need to let you know that Michelle and I have been talking about this for a while. And we decided not to tell you that I was going to (laughs) say AFL. I'm
0: actually in shock. (laughs) I was like, Clayton's here. I can talk about football and annoy him.
3: So, as uh, somebody that's not really interested in sport at all, no. But why? Why did you like that story so much?
2: Because it annoyed so many people. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs>
3: Can I uh, tell you what
0: my greatest phrase? If I never hear this again, it will be too soon. Sport and politics should not mix.
3: Don't bring your political views. Yes, in. I just watch
2: football. I would officially like to say that same-sex marriage is not politics. It's well, that's right. what
0: a. Oh, you.
2: Well, I thought you'd finish they,
0: first. You talk about football, then you tell them my good material. I'm out. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry. <laughs>
3: Mic drop, <laughs> but it's true. But this is where perhaps the no voters or the perhaps undecideds. Mm. This is where they find their ammunition for for voting no. So, in in a sense, so um, they will find a way to turn anything positive into a negative.
1: Mm.
0: Perhaps. And um, my actually, my other big one is people who say. You shouldn't be forcing us to vote. I don't think Gillian McLaughlin, the CEO of the AFL, is coming round to your house. Like, them saying yes is not forcing you to do anything. You're still actually a free citizen. Mm -hmm. You might be a terrible one, but you're a free (laughs) 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 one. Wow. (laughs) And, and,
2: (laughs) And
3: anybody that works for the AFL or the ANZ Bank or the NAB or any organisation that's coming out in support of marriage equality, they were... Already in support of equality and inclusion and diversity anyway. So it is just, it's, what it's doing I think is just reinforcing what, uh, what they have always, or, or in more recent times, felt. And I think po- what people are forgetting potentially is that all the employers and their families and all the employees and their families and friends know that they have the backing of who they work for or who their dad or their mum or their child works for this is about having happiness in people's lives and knowing that there is support out there and i think this is what people miss
2: and i think afl is seen as one of the last great bastions of Mm -hmm. masculinity and i think that uh, by afl backing a yes vote it challenges people's masculinity so Mm -hmm. i think that's why there's been so much of a reaction
3: to it Yeah, it is, and and, and there was pressure for them to come out, I think, unfairly, but... You know, but that everyone, that everyone has their their, their time, mm-hmm. I suppose. I'd like to uh, just nominate somebody else, Gina, um, who uh, is with Beck on Family Matters at eight o'clock after this, has been going out with a group as of uh, people putting up posters around where she lives, and she calls them her her soccer moms, and they love it. They want to go out and put posters up and stickers and chat to everybody, and uh, just wanted to acknowledge it. you can be a supporter of uh, marriage equality in in massive ways or in tiny little ways you know it's extraordinary. Um, I wanted to just mention somebody. I worked at a phone room on Monday night up at uh, at Trades Hall, phoning potential vote yes voters. And a gentleman I spoke to as a retired lecturer. And I won't say and he didn't say where his university was that he lectured. And I, I asked him, "Do you mind if I ask why you're voting yes?" And he said, "Well, I'm a lecture, I was a lecturer in mental health, and I saw the effects, the negative impact on GLBTI people." And he that was his reason for voting yes. And another guy said, do you mind if I ask, why would you vote yes? And he said, I don't know, it's just right. And he said, is that the right answer? And I said, no, 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 there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious. He said, I don't know what the big deal is. Is it just right? And, you know, you got polar opposites. Mm. So it was, uh, they're my two little individual allies.
2: If you vote yes, your answer is correct. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um... There's uh, a lot of stuff happening and um, something really positive that I think is coming out of it. And I don't know if, if you guys have felt this, but you have people that have great pride in telling you, oh, I've posted my, my, yeah. my,
0: do you find that too? Oh yeah, and all over social media. Yeah, and yeah, yeah it's yeah. really,
3: I think it's good. And I think that people coming to, to me and saying, I've done it, I've got it and I've posted it and all that kind of stuff. So.
2: My colleagues are certainly telling me quite a bit about what, ha- what they've experienced around the whole no thing.
3: Mm. Uh,
2: sorry, uh, and voting yes. And I, I haven't heard anyone say anything negative for me at work at all. And they've all very much been promoting the yes thing amongst their friends. So mm. thank you to my colleagues
3: as well. Yeah, I think it's really special. Uh, and getting the acknowledgement, I walk around with a yes uh, badge on and having somebody make eye contact and give you a little bit of a, a smile or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really, really special. So there's lots of allies out there. You just know how to just go and oh, no, walk past a cafe today, big giant yes on the window, and I asked them if I could take a photo with the group of the workers there, and they said yes. <laughs> that's yeah, the right answer.
1: That's
3: yeah. the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. You are listening to Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9 with Beck and Clayton and Michelle.
2: Hey, I'm Tom Bainbridge and you're listening to Joy 94.9. It's Stand Up Straight, baby. Let's get up and about.
3: Woo! Allies and stuff. There you go, Clayton. Good old Tom.
2: Yes, are we? Yep. Cool. Yeah, cool.
3: <laughs>
1: <So, Mike's not laughs> there
2: was something very abrupt. I don't know what I did wrong there. Uh, no. You were just
0: excited about the thought of Tom Bainbridge. Yeah.
2: Oh, he does get me quite excited.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anywho, <laughs> we hey, he's we've not
2: got a studio right in the. Uh, we've got a studio. Hopefully, he's a... listening right now.
3: Uh. <laughs> we've got a guest in the studio uh, with us tonight. Who's probably looking at us, thinking, "What the hell have I walked into?" And you're probably right. Uh, Rebecca Loveday is one of the hosts of Transmission, which is a we'll get clarification, but I think an eleven-part series that's on Joy's website, and it covers every aspect of the trans community and people associated with. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Am I right? Is that ele- is eleven episodes, I think, or twelve? I'm just gonna say yes. You'll just say yes, so just yes. Say yes. <laughs> yes.
4: But you're right, it's, um, a series that's created by trans
3: people for trans people. Fifteen episodes, yeah. I've just been notified. Not- uh, I've just had a look. So, um uh, Rebecca, you're one of the hosts. How different is it interviewing to being interviewed?
4: I love interviewing. Mm. I actually find it really fun. I think the pressure's kind of taken off you when you know the people that are being interviewed are nervous, so therefore you don't have to be nervous, and they're always going to be more nervous than you are. So it works out well, mm. but now I'm in the reverse
2: seat. Are, are you nervous are right you now? Nervous no.
0: no. <laughs> I always think that in any situation there's only enough nervousness to go around. Like when I go on a date, which does not happen enough, I always think like, oh, if I'm really nervous, then they'll be cool or vice versa.
3: Mm. It's words um words of wisdom. That's right. So uh Rebecca, we um want to get to know you and then also a bit about transmission, which it uh, was just launched this week and it's a really vast array of guests and topics. But want to get to know you a little bit, a little, you know, a potted history of where did you grow up, family, siblings, sure. that kind of thing.
4: Um well I grew up on the south coast of New South Wales. So I grew up in a pretty little town called Jervis Bay. Some people call it Jarvis Bay, but it's, um, about two and a half hours south of Sydney. Mm. Uh, my parents still live there. Um, I went to school there. Uh, I've got two older brothers. I moved to Sydney when I was 16. Um, I did a hairdressing apprenticeship, saw my first drag show, which <laughs> kind of inspired me, um, to a degree. Kind of just took it a little bit too far, maybe, some <laughs> <might say. laughs> um, well, That's
3: our quote well, for the night, yeah. I think.
4: <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. And then I lived in London for a couple of years and, um, started my transition when I was in my late teens, um, not long after I moved to Sydney and, um, yeah, moved to London, had surgery and then came back to Australia and I I reconnected with my family. I was a little bit um, distant from them for a short period of time. I was kind of um, being an angsty I don't, what's the teenage, word for, teenager M- but like when M- you're it's not a teenager
0: it's
4: like a teenager. 20ager 20 <gasps> <gasps> being one of those a young <laughs> adult <laughs> being one of those yeah so being a young adult and being trans at the same time you kind of rebel a little bit and um, yeah so then I came back to Australia and reconnected with my family and that's it I
3: think <laughs> so 16 you left yeah you went right to, to Sydney, Sydney. Was there a particular catalyst for leaving at that particular? Because a fairly young age to to leave here. So, is there a particular incident or just a a culmination of things?
4: I was getting in a lot of trouble at school. I was being a bit of a school rebel, and um, growing up in a small country beach town, um, I was doing things that not any other, not any of the other kids were doing. And can you tell us what
3: that? You know, we. we Oh, getting
4: arrested um, for drink driving, um, getting tattoos without my parents knowing. Um, You're a rebel and a half. I was. At that age, I was. And and just, yeah, I think my parents kind of said to me at that point that you need to kind of knuckle down at school or you need to do something else. And I was like, well... I want to do something else. So they're like, well, you have to do an apprenticeship. So back in those days, it's not that long ago, but back in those <laughs> days, um, my dad's like, you need to do an apprenticeship. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to become, can I swear on the radio? No, no I won't. Um, I'm not going to become a mechanic and I'm not going to become any of those things. So I'll become a hairdresser. So I started my hairdressing apprenticeship in Sydney and... Um, that was where my journey kind of started, I guess, my journey into womanhood and um, my transition and just growing up as an adult and standing on my own two feet.
0: So, did you started the transition before you moved to Sydney when you were still in at home or...?
4: No, it was interesting. So, when I started my apprenticeship, I went in as a boy and came out as
3: a girl. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, was it, Were you dressing androgynously? Very. Or, yeah. yeah.
4: Okay. I was always a very um, pretty boy anyway, so... Um, and I always had long hair and, um, was always quite petite and angelic. So, um, it wasn't really that hard for me to, um, you know, chuck on some mascara and start to, start to, <laughs> start to learn how to walk in heels, which wasn't very hard.
3: Uh, in, um, in high school, I'm imagining maybe not. Were you bullied a lot in your, you know, sort of like that 12, 13 age or were you? Pricey, did you stand up for
4: yourself? It was interesting. I think I had to change schools halfway through high school, and during the early years of school, um, I was picked on. I was very feminine, and um, I used to get just hang out with all the girls, and I used to get picked on in school. And then I changed schools, and I thought, well, I don't want this to happen again. So I decided to become, I guess, a little bit more um, stand up for myself and mm-hmm. become a little bit more masculine. And I just kind of embraced being a boy, I guess, to a degree, and dating girls and all those fun things you do when you're pretending to be something you're not. And um, I just kind of rode with it to, well, I guess, it's my own safety more than anything else. And I was sick of being picked on. So, um, yeah, so for the later part of school, I was, um, yeah, embraced my adolescence as a boy. And then um, as soon as I left home, I guess I went back to my roots. My feminine roots. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Had you um talked to your parents about transitioning before you went? Or was no that something way. that just kind of appeared to them when you came back from Sydney? How did it all... Um happened with them? So um,
4: they didn't know anything about it initially. Well, they would have because from when I was very young, they would have known. I was a very feminine child. I played with dolls. I refused to do boy things. Um, I always wanted to be dressed up as Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Did
3: they think you were gay? Or had that discussion ever come up? Um,
4: well, they knew I wasn't straight in the sense of mm. being a heterosexual male. Um, but I don't think they quite knew. And, um, my dad used to actually blame my mum quite a lot because my mum in the 80s ate all the foods you eat when you're due to have a girl. Cause I've got two older <laughs> brothers. So she really wanted to have a girl. So she ate mango or whatever it was to, in order to, <laughs> in order to have a girl. And then I was born and then I was really feminine. So my dad was like, that's, this is
2: your fault kind of thing. So
0: too much I, mango.
4: Way too much mango. Hmm. I don't even know if it's mango. I just made that up on the spot. <laughs> sounds good, though, doesn't and it?
2: Just to be clear, was your dad joking around? or No, he yeah, was being serious. Okay. My, wow.
4: my dad's a very um, stereotypical Australian bloke. He's very blokey. He is very much into football, and he was a butcher for years. Then he was a greenkeeper on a golf course, and he's a very manly man. And so for me to be effeminate um, was something that wasn't accepted
3: what was your relationship like with him at all was it just um you've walked you crossed each other in the corridor or it was kind this, of you know, yeah at school or was it not much at all
4: well I because I've got two older brothers my eldest brother was kind of taken under my dad's wing I guess mm. in a sense and he was kind of nurtured to be the the scholar of the family if you wish and um, my middle brother's actually gay so um what fruit did your mother eat? <laughs> for him,
3: coconut. Coconut. <laughs> so, so then how do you
0: how do you have the conversation with your parents when you're when you're in Sydney and you start this process? Did you ring them or what? The first part was actually quite interesting. So when I
4: first started transitioning, I was taking hormones, I started growing my hair out. I was allowed to transition through work and it was all kind of very androgynous. Um, and then when I would see my parents, I would de-transition to see right. them. So I would wear like a baseball cap or I would like dress as a boy to see my parents because I didn't know what they would think.
3: What does that do? What kind of attitudes and thoughts go through your mind as you've, you're blossoming and you're becoming the person that you are? And then you've got to bang, go backwards. Does How does that affect you?
4: It's... Um it's a bit of mental anguish, like it's not easy to be transitioning, transitioning back and, mm-hmm. and doing those things. Um, and then I moved to London, so I got to escape that, having to do that. Um, and I think in a way I might have blamed my parents to a degree and therefore when I moved to London, I kind of distanced myself from talking to them so I could go through the whole process mm-hmm. without the disruption of being told what I was doing was wrong.
3: Did you think that if it, that it would perhaps be easier for you to go away, change I apologise if I'm not re- using the correct terminology. And then come back and then go and be Rebecca yeah. with them. Did you think that that would have, was that going to be easy for them to understand rather than the transit, you know, a timeline? I think so.
4: Like, um, my dad's all for if you're going to do something, do it properly type, type, <laughs> type well. situation. So I was like, okay. Well, I'll, I, I will, up, I'll, yeah. I'll do it properly. So, um, yeah, and my brother, my gay brother, um, he was already living in London. So I stayed with him, um, and he supported me. I had my surgery overseas. And um, you were how old at that stage? Uh, 21. Mm-hmm.
3: So that's young in anyone's books yeah how do you so if you you had your brother there as support how do you was there support networks around you do you got was there any does the hospital or the doctors or do they provide any kind of assistance or support or what is there for someone at that age
4: well you have to go through psychological evaluation to um show that you're i guess competent to be able to go through with the surgery that it's right for you Mm. um so i did that building up towards the surgery but i actually lived with two nurses at the time um and they Mm. they helped nurse me back to health pretty much
3: is that right Mm -hmm. how do you um how do you cope with the people that think you this might be a phase or you don't really know what you want you're too young this kind of thing do you have anything Mm -hmm. with that
4: well, that, that happened a lot in the early days, especially with my parents and my family, thinking it was a phase I'd go out, because I had gone through so many different stages throughout my life, like I was saying how in my late teens I was, I embraced my masculinity in a sense. Um, so to do that and to, to be going back and forth and, um, changing all the time, I think there's definitely a point where people just think it's another phase, but you know, once you've had surgery, it's not really, you can't <laughs> change back from that really.
3: No phase. No, no phase.
4: <laughs> no, no phase. Too much mango.
3: <laughs> That's our other quote for the night. Um, we have Rebecca Loveday in the studio with us. We're going to come back and chat to her a little further. You're listening. Just stand up straight on Join 94. yourself stand up straight on joy 94.9 you are with michelle beck and clayton in the studio we also have rebecca Loveday in the studio with us as well one of the hosts of transmission which is a 15 part series that's on uh, joy uh currently so if you go to the joy website you can uh, watch and it's the most extraordinary cross-section of views and opinions and experiences isn't it
4: there is definitely it's um you get to meet, uh, I guess if you watch the series you'll see a lot of different um, personalities, a lot of different journeys, a lot of different stories Um, it shows that the trans community is very diverse and Mm -hmm. that people, well the trans and gender diverse community is very diverse and I think it kind of um, beats down that I get the notion that people think that all trans people's stories or experiences mm. are the same, mm. which they're not. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting series, and it, you'll, you'll learn a lot about the trans community if people want to watch it. Yeah, and I will, will watch it. I think you
1: should.
3: Oh. <laughs> we, uh, we You mentioned before we went to, to the song that you went to London, and you were, you were there for how long? So I lived
4: in London for five years. Mm-hmm. I did the vast majority of my transition while living
0: in London. Um, Was that a conscious decision? You thought, I want to go overseas and do this here? or?
4: Well, it was a strategic decision because I knew that the British um, healthcare system would pay for the surgery for free. So, because I'm a a dual citizen, um, I had access to their healthcare system, which therefore meant that I would get a $30,000 surgery for free. I
0: I would have done that
4: too. And I get to go to Europe and I get to go and have fun and Mm. and be a young teenager slash 20s person, just enjoying life, except for the bit where I was in bed for a week. But... Other than that, it was fun.
3: Is there a sense of urgency, or, or you want to hurry up? It was for get, me, yeah, yeah.
4: It was for me. It was like it was like the first thing on my bucket list of things to do. Like going through the transitional period. Like I, that was like number one for me. Do the surgery. So
0: how long after you got there did you have the surgery?
4: Um, so I moved there when I was twenty-one, and then I was there for two or three years, and then I had the surgery. So I had to have the. Um, years worth of psychological evaluation prior to um to be able to go through the surgery and then it gets approved and then um you get put into the hospital to to go in for the surgery
3: do you feel angry or cross or frustrated in a way that you uh have to have a year's worth of psychological evaluation do you i mean i get that it has to be done but it from it personal do you feel a bit in, invaded or, or do you know what i mean
4: I, I I guess I, I did it because I had to, not because I felt that I needed to, so i I think they need to put it in place so um, in case people are going through it for the wrong reasons and mm. potentially aren't doing it for the right reasons, but um, I guess in my case um, I knew who I was, I knew how I felt and i didn't I guess I didn't really need to be evaluated to tell me how I felt and what I thought. Um, but I knew it was part of the process and I had to do it to, to get to where I needed to be.
3: Are The people that you're dealing with in that year, are they relatable? Did they, do you think that they connected with you or did you connect with them or did you feel it was just a laborious process you had to go through? It was just
4: a process. Yeah. It was definitely just a process. I mean, while I was there, I tried to tried to milk the system and get some, bre- <laughs> get some breast implants and get them chucked in for free, but... That- <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't quite go my way. I had, to, oh. I had to bypass Thailand on my way back to
1: Australia.
3: <laughs> did you? I just wanted to backtrack uh, uh, quite a ways. But when you were little, do you remember sort of the very first feminine thing that you did? Was there anything that you had done that you thought, look, when you think back and think, ah, that's kind of when I was most, I started to come out of? I think probably
4: the one of the most distinctive things that I can remember about being a feminine child Um, was, well, I had two brothers and there wasn't an an array of female things around my house and specifically around me because my parents would take them away so I couldn't access them anyway. But I had three female cousins and um, one of them actually broke their um, cabbage patch doll and its head was detached from its (laughs) body and she threw it out and I took it out of the bin and I tied (gasps) its head back on and I've still got it to this day. (laughs) So, it was a cabbage patch doll that was um, rejected from society and (laughs) <laughs> Rejected it from the cabbage patch, and then I took it under my wing, and then I've still got it to this day. Yeah,
3: is that um, how special? Well, you haven't thrown it out, so is that sort of that that um, connection to where you were then, in a sense?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. Like if you if you look back on um, family photos, there's my mom, my dad, my brothers, me, and then this cabbage patch doll in every photo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's like where's Wally? Spot the cabbage patch. Where's
0: the
4: cabbage patch? And yeah.
3: So with photographs um, around your family home, do they have any? As well, in it's your Pinterest? Interesting you
4: say that. So um, my boyfriend is actually coming to my hometown with me to my parents' mm-hmm. place this coming weekend, actually. Oh, wow. Um and I know for a fact because I've mentally remembered my, everything in my parents' house and I know that there's definitely two photos of me prior to transition to my parents' house, which I'll be talking to my mom about on the phone before we get there. Um, so there's two, but there's I would say the ratio of me as a female is much higher than have they got
3: both? Have they? There is, and so I respect
4: that. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I my I was my parents' child, and and they have to um you know. In a sense they they lost a son and gained a daughter and, but um, I have to respect the fact that that you know i 'm not ashamed of my past mm. i, I don 't need to hide it um, and I can respect my parents as parents that they want to have those in their house for memories of their child
3: and what about your with your brothers do they um, how difficult or was it for them to I don't know what other word but to say adjust. I, I don't know Except if that's maybe. the right word accept or would adjust to the change in their sibling. What what was that like?
4: I couldn't ask for better siblings, uh, hmm. really. Like my eldest brother, um he's amazing. He's a school teacher. Um, his wife's a teacher. They're about to have their first baby. They're ex- extremely accepting. My middle brother, he's gay, so um, we're like two peas in the pod, really. So <laughs> we can just hold hands marching down the street from Mardi Gras. And, um, but, yeah, my my brother and I are very close. We have a very close relationship. My middle brother um, being part of the same community, and we have a lot of mutual friends. And, um, yeah, they're very accepting. All of my family is very accepting. So they are you- now.
3: You're allies for each of you, really, in a sense, aren't you? For yeah. Your, your, your gay brother, do you ever have allies played a big role in your life?
4: They definitely have, definitely, 100%. Um, interestingly enough, I have not been, I guess, strongly involved with the trans community until I moved to Melbourne. So I'm from Sydney originally. And um, I, during the time of when I started my transition, um, I was taught. That you needed to blend into society. You need to be stealth. You need to be, um, um, passing within the community as a female. And that's what was embedded in my brain. And to, and for people to know anything trans about you is something that you don't want to be sharing that
3: story with. So who, ta- who tells you that? Who teaches you that? Or is it just an? it's just the sensing? way it was.
4: It's just the way it was. I, and you know, I transitioned 15, 16, 17 years ago, whatever it was. And during that time, there wasn't any, Um, people to look up to. There wasn't any Laverne Cox that was advocating for the trans community. There wasn't anybody like that. The people, and especially in Australia and there still isn't really in Australia um, but there wasn't anybody like that and people that and the term transgender wasn't even around at that time. People were called transsexuals and people that were transsexuals were people like Carlotta who Mm -hmm. was a showgirl that was used as for lack of better words, it was a freak show to be, Mm -hmm. you know to be, to be the person on stage as a female that, you know, has extra body parts and people would pay money to go and see it. That's what people knew and also the sex industry and then also porn. And that's all people knew or people being ridiculed in films as a, yeah, as, a as, as the lore. end of a joke. Mm-hmm. So for me to transition and to have a life of normality, I got told to hide my transness. That's what I was taught to believe. And that was embedded for me from other people within the trans community.
2: Well, now Australia has you as a role model through (laughs) the uh, Transmissions TV series.
4: They do. They do. And actually, I've actually um, done a couple of other different things, Um, I guess, within the realms of media. I've done um, a short film. I've done two short films, and I've also um, played a part in a um, Netflix series called Deadly Women. So, Deadly Women oh. was um, an American-based um, series, and I was in an episode of that, and I was playing um, a trans murderess. Her name's Nicole Von Lee-Titlow, and she, it's actually based on a true story, and this trans woman in Southern America, she killed her uncle with her auntie to pay for her surgery. Anyway, oh, wow. yeah, so I actually played the role of Nicole um for an episode of Deadly Women. So um I did that and that was um put onto Netflix and then recently I've done okay. two short films and one of them um was also based around um a trans woman's experience with dating. Um and that's gonna that's been entered into um film festivals across the world and also um oh, in Australia, so for queer film festivals. So keep your eyes out for that. Mm, um so quite I've done the a,
0: celebrity
4: I've done I've done a few different little things. So it's um Yeah, it's, it's been an exciting journey for me and it's definitely nice to be on the other end of the scale that's now accepting and embracing who I am as a person.
3: There's, um, there seems to be a lot more of, of the everyday person. It's not somebody that's a caricature or the butt of a joke or, you know, the villain or, and there just seems to be, you know, this normality. And I hate using that because, you know, there's, there's a whole spectrum of normal. But I think that that seems to be the, the direction more so now. I think,
4: know? yeah, and I, I agree. And, and I've realised that I can use my experience, I can use, use my life, I can use my um, privilege mm. as, as a trans person um, to advocate for other people, to be that person that people look up to, to be that person that young trans people can see.
3: Maybe we call you the Australian Janet Mock.
2: Can you do the rest of the show in American accent?
3: <laughs> sure. She <laughs> probably yeah. You're listening to Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. You're on Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. Clayton and Beck in the studio. We have Rebecca Loveday in the studio. And, um... We're going to go a bit romantic, are we now? I know. I always find a way to talk you about
2: love. I'm going to throw in one question just before you do because it's quite non-romantic. What's the <laughs> episode title of the Deadly women that you're in?
4: Oh, it's called um Gambling Lives Away, so it's season nine, episode three. Okay, thanks. I'm <laughs> going to look, it.
0: you go romantic. Clayton's going <laughs> to mm-hmm. geek out now. Um, I want to know all about your boyfriend. When did you meet him?
4: We met um, close to two years ago, um, and we... Uh, dated for a short period of time but i realized at the time when we first started dating that i wasn't quite ready to be in a committed relationship i need to do a little bit of self-discovery and i also realized that i spent a lot of my 20s dating people not being out as being trans therefore not accepting myself as a person and i need to just stand on my own two feet and spend time by myself and learn to love myself and to accept myself And even though at the time when I first met my partner, um, I knew that he was a good person. I knew that I was attracted to him, but I knew that I wasn't ready for it. Fast forward to six months down the track, we had a drunk night together, which was actually quite fun. And um, we've been together ever since. Um, He's an amazing person. Um, Even at that point, six months down the track, he still didn't know about my trans status all right I hadn't told him um and I had always been like that with the majority of guys that I had dated I would it was a rare I think out of all the people that I've dated it would maybe be a handful of people that I actually opened up to and, and spoke to about um my story and it's interesting because um people will always well people within the heterosexual community will say you should be telling people from the start you're being deceitful to this person and it wasn't until um I guess over time that I realized, you know, that's my stuff. Mm. That, that's mm. my story to share.
3: And, and when you're ready and to. And when you ready
4: to share it, I will.
3: Because disclosure is a word that I hear used a lot. And I'm wondering at what point do you ha- make that decision with whoever, yep. whether you decide to disclose and not just a, a, a partner, but, you know, maybe a potential employee, employer or, or whatever, but... And in line with what you just said, it's you know it's your personal story. But at what point do you do that, and then that fear of, or what may or may not happen as a result of your disclosure?
4: You have to judge each circumstance differently. Um, I think hopefully in an ideal world we'll get to a point where people won't blink twice if they know you're trans or mm. not like it, it won't be there'll be a point where people don't actually aren't uh, even phased i guess with people that identify as being gay or lesbian or bisexual people aren't phased by that they don't they don't yeah. really think twice if they go oh like someone says gay like well whatever they don't even think about it but if someone's trans it's always like a big explosion of yeah fireworks of interest and things like that and it shouldn't be like that um but it's definitely changing and um I'm lucky to have found someone that is open and is accepting of who I am and it's, it's amazing.
0: And was he completely from the moment you told him?
4: So I didn't tell him face to face. Was I, your
3: heart racing bulkers at your chest?
4: It was probably <laughs> one of, the, I would have to say, so with everything I've told you, my being open to um, my parents, um, coming out to them in my transition, having my surgery um going through self-acceptance loneliness all those types of things that you go through when the early stages of transition in comparison to telling the person i was falling in love with about my status and knowing that historically the rejection that i had had and it wasn't because i thought oh this might happen it's because it had happened so mm-hmm. many times before um to know that that could be the result of some of, of what you're about to explain to this person is terrifying it's terrifying.
0: I feel
3: nervous just so do thinking I. I'm it. not yeah, 'cause about it. Yeah, because I don't know if I want to hear if it's sad or not. Well, we're still together. I was going to yeah. say, we know it ends I know, well. but I mean, you don't know what... So you don't have to go into specifics, but do you remember the first words that you said?
4: So I, I didn't actually say anything. I wrote him a letter. Uh. And the reason I wrote him a letter is because I knew that there was um, stigma. I knew that there was violence towards trans people. I knew that if I had got nervous and said the wrong words and mm. said, you know, anything that seemed shocking to him, like sex change or something mm. on those lines that he might freak out. So I wanted to write a letter because then that way I could get down what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say mm. it, without any misconceptions. And on the flip side of that, even though I know he's not wouldn't be a violent person, I knew that in the back of my mind, there's always a fear mm. and that's once again from historical experience of people being violent towards you because of your trans status. So I was out of fear as well, that I was worried that if something went wrong he didn't accept it he didn't whatever um that I wasn't physically going to be present when that Mm -hmm. emotion erupted Mm
1: -hmm.
4: in him Mm so yeah so I gave him the letter I went to his house and I said to him um I want to give you this letter and um this might be the last time we see each other it might not be um and he read the letter and um he called me and he was um upset and How I, long did it take you to write that letter? I'm very spontaneous and I'm, <laughs> and I actually got home from work. I'm, like, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it today. Mm, I'm mm. going to do it now. And I literally wrote it then and there. And then yes. I s- said to him, I'm coming to your house. I'm giving you this letter because he knew that there was, I had given him a build up to say there's some stuff about me. I need to share with you when I'm comfortable, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, you know, that stuff I need to share with you. I'm going to do it now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, alert, alert. Yes.
4: I'm coming now. So yeah. So, um, I gave him the letter. I, I said that, you know, it might be the last time we speak to each other. He called me. He was upset. I thought he was upset because I had, you know, inverted brackets, deceived him like I'd been told in the past by everybody else. Mm-hmm. He was upset because he said to me um, it hurt him to know what I had to go through in my life to be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, to I love him. To so be really. the person that I am. And, and yeah, so ever since then, um, we've been together and he, he constantly surprises me. That's um, an
3: extraordinary reaction. It's not just, I love you, I'll be there for you, but to say that he hurts for what you've gone through to get to that point. For him
4: to see it completely from my perspective yes. and not his is the first and only time that's ever happened in my life. For them to not, you know, sometimes people might kind of be like, you know, that actually really upset me that you didn't tell me. I know it's hard for you, but that upset me, but he actually just saw it 100% from my perspective and how I felt and how hard it must have been for me, my journey, my experience. Um, and yeah he was accepting and we're still together today
3: what kind of conversations do you have after that does he why
4: well, well, well I gave him like a whole a pass in the sense of saying if you have any questions at any time just throw them at me um I'm and you know it wasn't just like he read the letter he was accepting that was it I knew it would take time because I said to him um you know people's mentality change when they know you're trans they people's mm-hmm. ideas change when they know you're trans and we were in a physical relationship and his physical attraction to me might change because he knew I was trans and Mm. you know that just you know if someone's got the mentality of you're a man or you were born a boy or whatever it is they're not going to be sexually attracted to you as a woman
1: Mm.
4: but if someone's got the mentality of you're a woman regardless of what you've been through then their sexuality or their sexual attraction to you is not going to change so I knew that those types of things would take time.
3: Where do you think he got that sort of mindset? And that was it his upbringing. Do you know? Is it who he met or had in his his social circle or anything like that? Um, he's got a
4: really great family. He's got a really good family. He's just a good person. I'm I'm just lucky, I guess. And to be honest, when I um, spoke about being a trans person of privilege, I'm a privilege in more ways than one. I'm of privilege in the sense that I pass in society. I'm of privilege in the sense that I am of. Middle class, I'm white and I'm working. I'm oh, yeah. privileged in the sense that I'm in a loving, accepting relationship. It's not like that for everybody. People that don't pass, people, not necessarily because they have to, but sometimes, you know, even people that want to pass but don't. Mm. The violence is put towards those people within society just for being who they are, people that can't get jobs, people that's family reject them, people that can't, you know, you know in a, in a relationship sense people that are violent towards them i know that the platform i stand on is very strong in the sense of privilege so um it's important to recognize the people that don't have that especially within the trans and gender diverse community and the, and the percentage of people that aren't privileged is a lot higher than the ones that are
3: so you're going back to your family home and you're taking your partner yes is there a lot of intrepidation there
4: Um, It's interesting because um, my family is very loving, very accepting. My dad's the only person in my life that doesn't call me Rebecca. He um, calls me a nickname Nickname. that I I had Mm. as a child. He doesn't call me my birth name. He calls me a nickname that I had as a child. Mm. And that's him being the breadwinner of the family. That's him being the, the head of the house, whatever you want to call it that's him still having control over his family to some degree, and I accept that because I know that there's people that don't even let their children walk through the front door. Um,
2: Correct, yeah. Pick your battles. Pick Mm. your battles, yeah. You're listening to Michelle on Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. She's my mum.
3: Beck and Clayton are in the studio with us. We have Rebecca Loveday that's joined us as well, one of the hosts of Transmission. We've had a message come in from Pete, loving the inspirational story tonight. Thank you, Pete.
0: Now, Rebecca, I was hoping you were still a hairdresser so you could fix my terrible roots. (laughs) But I hear that's not the case. No. What are you doing with yourself these days? Um, So other than
4: being the Netflix movie star that I am on the side... yeah. Um I am part of the um, SenseWide Working Out program. So Working Out is an LGBTI job support service for people that identify um, within the LGBTI community that have barriers to employment. So that's what I do. That's my nine to five. Um, and I'm also part of the Globe committee as well. So Globe Melbourne. So um, I'm the diversity director of Globe. I'm actually the first trans person I've had on the committee in 25 years. Wow. wow that's
3: amazing.
1: I love
3: Globe. What a wonderful Um, (laughs) organisation. We have a particular connection to Globe this year. beck has been nominated for, as she called it, a Golden Globe. That's what I keep telling people. (laughs) (laughs) And at Globe, um, how much time would you have to put into your role with Globe?
4: Um, Well, it's completely voluntary based, except for um, we have one um, admin staff that has a paid role. And it's interesting because um our admin staff member is actually part of the trans and gender diverse community as well. And she's actually um come through our working out program. So i I referred her to being employed by Globe. Oh
0: have Um was.
4: so it's great. So um but for me myself it's um making sure I attend events and making sure I'm promoting um, um, diversity and inclusivity with globe
0: so with working out are you mainly working with employers or people are looking for jobs or you try and match them up
4: um i have a caseload of um participants that i see on um a daily basis so um i specialize in working with trans and gender diverse participants and um yeah so they um come in and i meet with them and
3: yeah that's, that's brilliant it's lovely. Unfortunately, the sound of the music means we're nearly at the end of our I show. Know, how it's annoying! It was distracting. Really I was distracted. I was like, "What am I talking yeah. about?" <laughs> you soldiered. Why on. is there an army
4: coming? <laughs>
3: yes, <laughs> Rebecca. The fact that uh, we're at the top of the hour and we still thought we had half an hour to go is an indicator of how engaging you are. You are an extraordinary, inspirational woman. You are. And, here. You should do uh, TV. You should do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should. should I? Yeah.
2: yeah.
3: Really? Go on, just try it once. Um, <laughs> thank Your you. face is too pretty for radio. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank what do you, you. say about
2: the rest of us, back?
3: Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Thank and, you for having me. Uh, we're going to call you our Australian Janet Mock, I think, because you are an inspiration and uh, you speak beautifully, present yourself beautifully. You're an, you're gorgeous. Thank, <laughs> thank you thank so you. much for joining us. Please have a look at the Joy website for transmission. There are 15 extraordinary episodes. You've been listening with Michelle Beck and Clayton to stand up straight on Joy 94.9.
2: Good night.
1: This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy94.9. Support Joy94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au.
2: Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to
1: joy.org.au.